0: But then when you do realize that you do ask for help, you're you're not being judged by your colleagues. They're there for you. They may not say all the right things or bring you to the right places, but I do remember that when I finally did ask for help, you know, that was the first night that I had great sleep for a long, long time.
1: Denis Trottier needs no introduction if you're a follower of the employee mental health space in Canada. He's had an amazing 31 years working at KPMG, the last 20 working with private sector clients. Since 2017, Denis has been KPMG's Chief Mental Health Officer, the first such role in corporate Canada. Denis shares his personal experience with clinical depression and is a frequent speaker and advisor, inspiring people to challenge self-stigma and embrace the resources necessary to live a healthy and fulfilling life. I first met Denis when I was working on my book, This Is Depression, and he very kindly supported the book's launch. Denis's been a strong supporter and advocate of better mental health education and continues to lead by example and inspire other leaders to build stronger mental health supports within their organizations. I'm thrilled that he was willing to share even more of his time with me today, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I think We met in 2019, and ultimately, I asked you to participate in my book launch. And I did that because I was so inspired by your story. And just to let everyone know that you're a CA, you were a partner for more than 30 years at KPMG, and then you became Chief Mental Health Officer for KPMG, I believe, in 2017. So I wanted to start by asking, what was it like to come out about your mental illness in a culture where I'm assuming mental illness was not a usual conversation around the board table. What was that like for you?
0: Well, I think Diane, it it was no different than a lot of people that I have the pleasure to support today. I equate it to that self-imposed stigma you know, that culture overlays on you or religious background or upbringings or whatever, right? In a video they did on me, um, I really talk about that self-imposed stigma. So I think I was no different, Diane, and, you know, the brain telling me, am I going to be treated differently? Is my career advancement going to be different? But then when you do realize that you do ask for help, it's the total opposite. You're you're not being judged by your colleagues. They're there for you. They may not say all the right things or bring you to the right places, but I do remember that when I finally did ask for help, you know, that was the first night that I had great sleep for a long, long time. It's kind of that lifting that big burden off your shoulders, right? And support was from Top down, I remember when our CEO called me at home and said, hey, Denis, I get this. My dad has been there. Don't worry about your seat. It's going to be there when you come back. We're going to get you the right help. Your mind is telling you you can't ask for help. The reality is... You really can, and the support will be good. It won't be perfect, perhaps. <laughs> That's why you and I work so hard in this space to move the dial to make sure people know what resources, what to say, what not to say. But it's been a journey. And, you know, i if you told me 13 years ago, Denise, you're going to be our firm's first chief mental health officer and Canada's first, I think, to this day, I would have probably used a word that I don't use anymore. I would have said, you're crazy, Diane. What are you talking about? <laughs>
1: When you talk about someone being there and being responsive, in fact, having a a wonderful response, that's a heartening story. I want to understand, though, before you came out, before you talked about it, before you asked for help, what were you afraid of? What was going on that made you so afraid to ask?
0: I'm not sure if it's the component, Diane, of being afraid to ask or... You know, I explained it today, a lot of the success around mental health and wellness is education, right? I just didn't have the knowledge. You know, I grew up in Northern Ontario where there was zero diversity. You sure didn't talk about mental health. You know, the only thing I knew about mental health is school teachers saying, hey, if you don't behave, we're going to send you to North Bay. And you were scared because you knew that beige building in North Bay and you never wanted to go there, right? So I think it was just more an element that not sure why you're feeling this way. You think you're just tired, you know, went through whatever's going on in your life, work-related, busy season or whatever. So first time, just kind of took a month off, never told a soul, right? At work, it's pretty easy. The time of year that it fell, I think it was in July. And then a few years later, whoops, same feelings, same episodes that I'm living through. And that time, I think I took maybe six weeks off. And then a few years after that, it hit me again. And really the third time was the first time, Diane, that I really asked for help. You know, the first couple of times. Even my wife is the youngest of eight. I didn't want her brothers and sisters, my in-laws, my outlaws, knowing that Denis lived through this. But the day that I finally did ask for help of a colleague at work is when really my recovery started. I mean, I remember driving to work, sitting in my car, just kind of crying, right? I showed the emotion. Some people, it's in anger, as you and I know. Denis was more in tears. But I remember being in my car kind of trying to convince myself, okay, today's gonna be the day. I'm gonna go up to my desk and I'm gonna be, you know, Mr. Denis KPMG Enterprise and snap out of this. Little did I know, you can't cure yourself out of cancer on your own or a physical injury on your own. So why is this different? So I I use a trick and I say, well, you had a car accident, Diane. Are you feeling guilty now that you have to learn to walk out again and go to physio five days a week, right? Versus if it's cognitive, you feel guilty if you have to go off work. But if it's a physical injury or maybe cancer treatment where you know the treatment is just too much and you can't work, You don't feel the same way. So a lot of it, I think, was education, not just not knowing what was going on with my health, right?
1: Denny, though, you did say that you did fear being judged, and I think a lot of people fear that. Also, the idea that maybe this isn't real, I'm overreacting, which I hear so often. And on top of that, you brought up another important point about cognition, the fact that when you're in a serious depression, when you're experiencing any mental illness that's severe, your brain is not your own. You're not thinking the way you normally do. You're not able to exercise that sort of critical thinking or forward thinking. Your memory, your concentration are off. All of those things happening, that seems pretty scary. Yep. So maybe there was a little fear in, am I going to be judged? How are people going to look at me differently?
0: Yep. There's the stigma, but there's also, you know, letting people down, right? You're you're used to solving problems for your clients, helping them with strategy or whatever. So to me was just trying to dig deeper on your own. But once you move your knowledge dial, hence, that's what I love and what I do today, right? I describe it as a rabbit hole. You're either looking in and it's scary or you're in there, you're holding on, or you're so deep in there like Denis was that it takes a long time to come back out. So hopefully by moving to dial culturally and having the resources. People now are asking for help when when they're looking in that rabbit hole and it's a bit scary, not where Denis was. So hopefully they're learning from my mistakes.
1: So we all have that unconscious bias. And I wonder for someone who's in a heavy hitting profession, billing by, I don't know, 11 minutes or however you do it, like lawyers, like doctors, that there's this drive and a fear that you will be judged that you can't do it or we're not gonna give you that case because you can't bear it. You maybe crack under the pressure. What was that like?
0: Well, it's definitely one of the things that comes back to mind is that thinking that people will treat you differently if they knew, right? And I can say from lived experience, that doesn't happen. You may have a few people. I think in my career, I've had one person say, oh, you, your condition. I go, oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I'm talking my game, right? I knock those down as, as ignorance. You need to educate yourself. It, it, it's not like that, right? The mind is telling you you're being judged or you're gonna be judged, but it's the total opposite. I remember I, I was doing a lot of the recruiting for our firm. I remember a young lady that I was interviewing, I looked at her marks and I said, hey, you clearly demonstrate that you can have great marks. I see a semester here where your marks really went down. What went on? And she looked at me and said, I suffered through depression, I got help. Next question. I, you know, I just wanted to get up and hug her and say, thank you. This is my role. Redundancy in my role has been defined day that you and I can be standing at the water cooler talking about this like any other illness. And more and more I see that in the corporate world. Number one question U of T recruiting last year was around my mental health benefits. I go back even five years, it would have been, well, Denise, what's the, top five KPMG clients that I'll get to work on. Now it's questioning, hey, how come your benefit is X and your competitors is Y? So I really see this trend in the, I always say 20 to 30, where when I do something, they high five me, yeah, Denis, I get that, my mom, my sister, my aunt, the 30 to 40 come, and they say, Denis, I'd like to talk to you in private, right? We'll get a boardroom. They make sure nobody's snooping, but they're talking to me about themselves. The 40-plus come to talk to me about a friend. (laughs) And it's not because the 40-plus are bad folks Is we never grew up in that era, right? Our kids come home. Hey, Dad, I learned about Jack.org. I learned about Big White Wall. I learned about Safe Talk. Parents have no clue what that is, right? So I see this wave of change now where... The whole wellness side, and working with a lot of entrepreneurs, I say every week when I'm when I'm speaking publicly that you are dead in the water from an attraction and retention space of talent if you're not focused in this space. And as you and I know, thinking back to the session we did in Toronto, there is so much that. Corporate Canada can do at no cost in their organizations to move the dial in this space. Starting by reading your amazing book that I love your appendice. I still use it and I still refer people to it. You wanna know where the resources are right across Canada? Go buy this book. Diana's done the research on this.
1: Aw, thank you. You'll get everywhere with flattery with me, thank <laughs> it's you. It's on our
0: IntraWeb too. You've done an amazing job at that.
1: Oh, thank you. You know, do you have colleagues now? Because it sounds like you're not just talking about Denny working at KPMG Canada. You're creating these innovative solutions. You're all over the place. So is there a network? You guys all hang out and talk about what else you can do, other chief mental health officers that are non medical people that you're you're making connections with and having impact with.
0: It's interesting how we find each other with social media, right? Like I found another chief mental health officer in Australia in a big bank. In Canada, interestingly enough, it'll always be a wellness officer. Um, the only one I've found so far is uh, Best Buy, I think. It's chief wellness and mental health officer. And it's interesting when you talk behind the scene to a lot of colleagues that I've met over the last few years there's still a challenge in having mental health in your title. You know, like in my case, we kicked around calling me that chief wellness officer. And I said, no. And I remember the discussion and, you know, why? Because I said, I don't know what the hell that means. Like wellness to you and me is different, right? I've got an Apple watch. You've got a Fitbit. You've got a yoga person. So if we're to move the dial on mental health, call me what it is. So it's interesting, though, that I definitely see an appetite out there, Diane, of people. I've never been busier. Like part of my role has been defined to be a voice for corporate Canada. And more and more, some of my fellow partners say, hey, Denise, I want to drop you in front of the C-suite of, you know, a friend of KPMG or a client of KPMG. And it's interesting to see those ha-ha moments for these CEOs where the light is going on, realizing that mental health is not an HR issue. It's an all-of-us issue and the tone top-down really has an impact. When I stepped into the role, Diane, I got on a plane and I went to have dinner with Elio Luongo, our CEO, and I told my wife, I said, if KPMG is doing this to look good in a proposal and put my nice mug in a proposal, I'll wait after dessert because I love dessert, then I'll resign. I won't take the job. And it wasn't that at all. It was more like The CEO and I looking at each other, kind of recognizing that this is important, having no clue what the role looks like, and we'll create it as we go along. Like the role description was two lines. I wrote it because we didn't know. A lot is happening, but I think more can be done.
1: You mentioned ROI, the return on the investment for what an organization does to support mental health within their organization. So if, Denny, you're talking to a large organization that really has not done anything, what's your argument for having a chief mental health officer beyond investment and i know that's important the roi is is what they hear but what are the pieces that you lay out for them to say you doing this you having a leader in this space this is what it does
0: well for starters i don't think i would ever push that hey you need a chief mental health officer um yes if you've got the size and so on perhaps right but the angle that i take diane is saying who is accountable for this in your organization right? So accountability, because you get results from what you measure, right? And it could sit in HR, that's fine. But is this like just 10% of the person's role, right? We have an amazing HR team, and they're very knowledgeable around mental health. We've we've got an ERS team, which is a subset of HR. They have additional training, a lot of the same training I would have. So they're go-to people, but they're busy, right? So who is it that's accountable, that has the time, To do this. That would be a starting point. Then it's kind of like take inventory what you have already. You have an EAP great. Is it effective? Have you ever called it? Is there a lens of diversity? So I the focus is more on who's responsible for this, right? And and if somebody asks me, can my HR person call you? I usually say no. Or I will talk to them and say, listen, I want to be respectful of your time, but if it's just you, I know I can't really help you move the dial. Let's get the owners in on this. Let's get the C-suite. Let's get the senior management. Then I have a discussion with them. And that really helps HR team member to move the dial, right? Because oftentimes, Owners, leadership go, well, it's your problem, Diane. You and you and Denise are in HR, go figure it out, but we don't have a budget. Or we don't have the time of day to put this on the town hall meeting or to embed it in ongoing meetings and so on.
1: So you have the discussion of uh, whatever size company you're in, who's accountable within the company, but also that you have to have buy-in from the top, which I completely agree with. I guess in a broader perspective... What role do employers pay when it comes to health care of their team members, of their employees? And this has definitely changed over the last five to 10 years, and I have some strong opinions here. But I'd love to hear what responsibility employers have and what expectations are on them now.
0: I like organizations that end up doing, doing this for the right reason, being the humanitarian reason. I specialized in the private company space. They are like families. You spend more time with your colleagues at work, awake hours with your colleagues at work than you do with families. So you have a role to play, right? Oftentimes I'm the first one to see that your beautiful smile is not there anymore and I can interact. So. We play a huge role. We can play a stronger voice to bring change, why I said yes right away when I knew you wanted to do something like this. But I think the care that we bring and challenging some of these maybe historical things like EAP, any client of size would have an EAP. You know, challenge it. Is it effective? Does it work? Why is your utilization X? Have you ever thought of bringing them in, having a few lunch and learns so people at least know what this is for and the great services that they have there? Your earlier question, Diane, there was one component I didn't ask her when you said, Well, Denise, you must have a team. I don't. We're maybe. Two people in this space working almost exclusively, but we have 10,000 employees. But my team, Diane, is 10,000 people. And where it gets legs is that once you've created that culture where people are not afraid to talk about mental health, now we have mental health ally groups almost in all of our offices. Another big thing is we have over 40 people groups now, self-created an Asian professional group, a Black professional group, an Aboriginal group, a working mum's group, a working dad's group. Well, these groups create safe spaces where, as an example, the Black Professional Network are bringing in their own mental health speakers. And obviously all these groups, Diane, have a huge mental health component. You're creating a safe space where people can come and discuss issues that they're having with their life, with their kids and new schools or whatever, it contributes to their mental wellness. So we provide guidance. One of my teammates will host monthly calls where all these mental health allies from across the country dial in, meet, talk about best practices and so on. And if anything, now we got to do a better job at sharing what this office is doing versus that office so that we don't recreate the wheel. But I personally think that's a great problem to have because they are doing what they need in their local market, not what we think we need out of Toronto.
1: What you just said was just so incredibly inspirational. I really feel like change is coming. And when you look at the statistics about what millennials are looking for in the workplace, 70% say they take a job based on mental health resources that the company offered. They, they pick one organization over another based on how the company cares for their employees. And you know that saying, if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of the business. You're living that. So what's next, Denny? What's on your horizon that still needs to change?
0: It's not unusual, by the way, Diane, that new team members tell me point blank Denise, I pick KPMG because of your mental health focus. And I that brings a smile to my face, even though I know we didn't do it for that. But if you have intrinsic benefits, you're a more attractive employer because of, that's a bonus. What's in my horizon? You know what? One challenge, going back to your very first question, Diane, on stigma. Somebody described me the other day as a zookeeper. I'm not sure I want to go there with that example. But it was more on the notion that, Denis, you have 10,000 exotic professionals with all this different skill set. And, you know, you've been instrumental. Now there's a button on our home screen. Mental health at KPMG. Click. Boom. I'm there. Videos. Lived experience and all of that. But... We hear you say that there's still a percentage of your team that has never clicked that button. So the focus now internally on my horizon is what's in your mental health toolbox. I just come back from a management retreat, Diane, in Banff with our Calgary office, about 300 people. And I I started the session by saying, you know what? You're going back home tomorrow night. And your child says, mommy, I think the world would be better off without me. How are you feeling? Or your aging dad is saying scary words like that. How are you feeling? Should have seen the silence and the phones go off to end. Just to nudge people a bit, and then the discussion with another partner who shared his lived experience was around what's in your mental health toolbox. You know, like first aid, CPR, you learn before you need. This mental health toolbox, for many people, it's still empty. There might be a few things, but still not enough, or it's dated. I find a lot of people have coping mechanisms, but it's the same thing as when they were 22. (laughs) Now you're 36, you're in a relationship, you're a partner at KPMG, you're helping clients, you have two or three little rugrats. It's not working, right? So finding a way so that more people are populating their mental health toolbox, making it even easier for people to find resources. And and a huge enhanced focus, Diane, on non-KPMG tools. Why? Because this is what my first couple of weeks of COVID looked like. My inbox blowing up of people saying, hey, Denis, I'm so happy I work here. We have you, we have ERS, we have a $2,000 mental health benefit. We have people group, but I care for my little niece. I care for my aging dad, what do we have for them? And I quickly realized, Diane, that, holy geez, there's so many things out there that you can use for your little niece, but my teams don't know about it. So we invested a lot of time where putting on that page free resources for you and your circle of care. And that's the bounce backs, that's the mind beacons, that's the ability CBT, and the list goes on and on of tools that our colleagues can access to buy them time. Because going back to the challenge of healthcare, it is broken in this space. We see what's happening at ER. You know, my little grandson ended up at ER with this new respiratory virus the other day. So I not only saw it on the news, I lived it. Mental health space, you and I would probably agree that it's worse, right? I see youth being released from hospital that tried to self-harm and they're released with a list of referrals of professionals that aren't taking calls or are retired. So having things in your mental health toolbox as a a parent, as a caregiver that you can bridge, not only yourself, but family members is so critical. So it's getting these additional team members to invest in themselves, right? Because we all have a role to play here.
1: Denny, with your toolbox, it sounds to me like you're primarily focused on prevention, and I'm a big believer in prevention. The things that we can do to help you to stay well or to move you from stressed back to healthy, but you know better than almost anyone else that you can't yoga your way out of a severe depression. There are times when you need a psychiatrist, and one of the greatest challenges we have in this country at what really I believe is not a tipping point. We're we're free falling over the edge here. We're at a crisis point, which is an opportunity for change. People can't access care. So what do you do as chief mental health officer at KPMG when you can't help people to get access to high quality psychiatric care?
0: Well, benefits was one of them, Diane. Like, one of the first things I did the first year, kind of looking at mental health benefit doesn't give you much help that you can go get. We came out with a $2,000 mental health benefit for all our employees, regardless of whether they take their benefits with KPMG. Because as you and I know, right, if my partner works for the government, perhaps they have better benefits, so I pick them there. But at KPMG, everybody has a $2,000 mental health benefit. And also trying to recognize the fact that certain of the professionals, like psychiatry is covered by healthcare, but psychologists and down are not. We blew up the definitions because why should it really matter who you're using? Because old style benefits, unless you've got 10 degrees beside your name, they don't qualify. If you're using a social worker and you're feeling well and you're getting your beautiful smile back, why would I care? So the definition of what qualifies in that benefit is very, very broad. You have to draw the line somewhere, right? But it's still very, very broad, so people have that. But I think the success for immediate care is having an eap that you could rely on but also i think all these other resources they buy you time i mean they're not perfect Let, let's be honest bounce back is not perfect but from mild to moderate and you don't know where to go you know you go in the chapter you want to buy a book and all of that i would argue that bounce back it's reliable you know there is some coaching there are some good books and so on that they give you that are very topical right like mind beacons another one that it's not perfect but i remember using that one and testing it i, I had a therapist i got to know the therapist i was giving homework i was evaluated <laughs> therapists would even probe me when i didn't do my homework i remember once i get this email saying hey denny i noticed you didn't do module four they did not resonate for you or maybe you have questions so i thought Wow, for not for everybody, once again, but for some people, there's tools like this that can bridge you. They don't replace the psychiatrists and so on, right? But they bridge you in the short term until I can have my face-to-face with a professional such as yourself
1: but what if you can't get to me? Or what if your colleague doesn't have a family doctor? And I know that it's a big question and I, I would love you to have all the answers. Please tell me. But the reality in Canada is, you know, a huge percentage of people don't have a family doctor. If they have a family doctor, they may not be comfortable with, with taking that next step beyond the talk therapy into the prescribing. And certainly yeah. the lack of access to psychiatry Is there an approach that you've worked on, uh, conversations that you've had that can shed a light on how you might have made an impact through your organization in helping to access care? And you don't have to have an answer because none of us do at the moment. We're working on it.
0: (laughs) I think it's baby steps, Diane. I mean, how do you fix it? I don't know. Like, even driving up to Mont-Tremblant today, my wife was driving, and I googled a few things to see what's new. Canada.ca, boom, you hit provinces. And I can get to mental health resources, but it's so scattered. I got to go by province. I got to click 20 things before I get there. So how do you fix that, right? And I even went Like, I think the new 811 is not up and running everyone, right? Newfoundland has it. You would know better than me, what other provinces. But why isn't it that you and I cannot just call a number and then we would be told, well, I think Jack.org would be good for you or bounce back, like even during COVID, I I won't name this minister, but I remember being in a President's Club presentation with one of the ministers of health. And I said, with all due respect, When you go back to your office, I challenge you to go find these amazing resources that you are paying for. And I got a call a few days later by one of the team members saying, Denis, Mr. Minister, we'd just like you to know that you're right, we can't find anything and we're gonna solve that. Like even at KPMG, if you were in distress, couldn't find anything now you have no excuse because it's on your desktop mental health app click efap click so somehow if we could just change that diane like when i speak to corporate canada my walk away is where's your button on your home screen (laughs) many organizations now even one of the big banks has a button on their home screen thanks to denis people can find things right if somehow we could help (laughs) canadians at large Find the things that we have. They're not perfect, but we have a lot of things. What can we do so that listeners can find these things? I I don't know the answers, but it's changing, right? I think we're finally trying to think differently, right?
1: So... I'm going to end with this question that uh, I wonder how much it's going to be aligned with what you just said. If you were granted a wish, you were granted one mental health care wish from someone who really had the power to drive change, what would that wish be?
0: To do something on the proactive side because even when I started in my role, Diane, it was too reactive. With time, we had to move the dial. I I would visit the offices, tell you what we had, right? But it's almost too late. Then starting to listen to people, people all of a sudden two years in would say, that's awesome, Diane, but what do you have so that I could be more proactive, so that when I do hit speed bumps in life and family relationships work, I've got, I hate using the word resilience because, you know, for some it resonates, some it doesn't. But if we could do something... And I think it ties back to the idea of a toolbox. A toolbox is not just care items. I love the plan for resilience that perhaps you were one of the knowledgeable folks involved in the development of that. It has two pages on choosing healthier habits. It has three pages where I can do a stress profile on me and you, my partner, can do it on me and we have a discussion. So doing something on the proactive side so that people recognize hey like the mental health continuum don't wait till you're in the red let's do something where you're bouncing in the in the yellow here a bit and not going back cuz i think if we could do that we're owning our mental wellness i think it puts us in a better position to sort of take action and perhaps open up to a friend access eap or maybe even talk to our gp i sort of laugh when you said how many people don't have a gp i sort of think many people who have a gp it doesn't matter anyway because the majority of the ones i support they're not even comfortable talking to their gp about this right so proactive would be my wish to give you something so that you've got a starting point that would Pique your appetite to recognize that mental health is health. Nobody can take care of it for you other than you. And then maybe your curiosity, you get involved with more things.
1: Denny, as Canada's first chief mental health officer, I think you have an awful lot to be proud of. And I know that you're an inspirational leader in that role. What are you most proud of?
0: This, this role, Diane this does not feel like work it is such a humbling role and I couldn't have dreamed of a better change of 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 role Diane and just to be a voice for corporate Canada as well is is you know for various organizations and helping them move the dial, you know, do a lot of stuff with Jack.org, now working with The Unsingable, with Silken Lauman. things like that motivate me because I know the impact that they can have because they're touching so many people in a quick way, right? I think Jack.org interacts with over a million you a year now. That's huge, right? I love things that you can have. A podcast like this that'll get a lot of listeners, hopefully, you can get people to think differently and take a small action. And I always say, don't let this overwhelm you. When I teach at Ivy, I go, like, don't go back to the office and think you got to go from here to there overnight. You don't have to. Start small. Bring in the speaker. Every little action that you do, put it on your agenda.
1: You eat that elephant one bite at a time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's. I'll remember that.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for speaking so openly with me today. You know, the world needs more, Denny, more of your kind of incredible leadership. You have the essence of what I think is the greatest leadership superpower, which is vulnerability. And your vulnerability has changed the lives of, I'm sure, countless individuals. Thank you again so much for what you do.
0: Thank you, Diane. You're too kind. Right back at you, all the amazing work you do in this space. We're all in this together, so let's continue to move to dial.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Denny is one of those rare individuals who has been through the worst of times, but has been able to get the right help, recover, and find the courage and the energy to give back to so many others. He illustrates the powerful hold that self-stigma can still have on people, holding us back from asking for the help we need, when we need it most. Denny makes a powerful case for employers to invest deeply in resources, both to treat and prevent mental illness. He reminds us that mental illness can strike anyone, and everyone can struggle with feelings of weakness, shame, fear, and self-stigma. We have to keep working on breaking down those barriers, and I'm so grateful to Denny for his caring leadership. Until next time, thanks for listening. The Wicked Mind Podcast is a series of unique conversations with individuals that share experiences and perspectives on mental health care. Together, we will uncover ideas that inspire action. Please make sure you subscribe, share, and comment. And... If you have a topic or guest suggestion, please reach out to me at drdianmackintosh.com.